Our sermon passage today comes from 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 18. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phrygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Amen. You guys may be seated. <clears throat> so someone asked me between the services, um, <clears throat> are you going to change anything uh, from the first service? And I said, yeah, I hope every word. So... Um, today, I'm thankful for second chances to, to redeem myself um, and hopefully get a passage right. So, um, <clears throat> if you're our guest, thanks for being here. We're studying the book of 2 Timothy, which means that um, we're going to work our way straight through it. And so today, we pick up in uh, chapter 1 and verse 8. So, as we begin, let me, let me just ask the Lord's, Lord's blessing on this time. Father... This is your word, which is spoken by your spirit. And we are your people who desire to hear your word. We desire to obey you. We desire to serve you. We desire to love you. So, Lord, we pray you would help us. Lord, particularly, I pray you would help me to speak your word with clarity and with power in a way that would work for your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our sermon today is entitled, Ashamed with a Question Mark. Um, the more I studied this week, the more I felt myself drawn back to the middle school cafeteria. You guys remember the middle school cafeteria? Who wants to go back to the middle school cafeteria? Anybody? Yeah. It has nothing to do with the food, right? It has everything to do with shame. Everything in middle school is gauged and rooted in what others think of us and how they respond to us. And those of us who are old like me know that that is a brutal way to live. To live constantly evaluating what we think, what we do, how we dress, how we spend our money, how we, all things that we do to base them on what others think of us and how they respond to us. And I think Paul knew that that was such a human tendency when he's writing here to Timothy. And so what he is addressing in this passage is, I believe, the source of so much that... Um, befalls us and causes us to struggle. And that's this idea of shame. Not personal shame about our sin, but ultimately shame in Christ 
and shame in the gospel and shame in the simplicity of the gospel and shame in those who suffer for the gospel. So dare I say to us today that perhaps at the root of our spiritual apathy is shame in the gospel. Dare I say that perhaps the root of our unwillingness to open the Bible and read or to fall on our knees and pray is some sort of ashamedness in the things of Christ and in the simplicity of the gospel. Perhaps our unwillingness to take um, bold, confident stands for the cause of Christ is shame. Perhaps our unwillingness to speak of the goodness of God is shame. Perhaps what stands between where we are and what God would desire for us would be an overwhelming sense of joyful confidence in Jesus. And I think that's what Paul is addressing today with this passage. So, we believe that all who know Christ, all who have professed faith in Jesus, confess sin, believe that Christ has died for our sin, we believe that all who know Christ in this way have an eternal hope to belong to God as His children forever. Now, what this passage tells us is that eternal confidence in Jesus breeds present confidence in Jesus, his gospel, and his mission. So I want to say that one more time because this is kind of the main point of the sermon. Eternal confidence in Jesus breeds present confidence in Jesus, his gospel, and his mission. And so Paul is writing to Timothy and he's calling on Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel or those who are suffering for the gospel. So there's two points today for those of you that want to take notes. The first point is fight shame. The second point is cling to Jesus. So first point, fight shame. This comes directly out of verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed. So Paul is telling Timothy to not be ashamed. Ashamed of what? The testimony of the Lord, that's the gospel, nor of his prisoner, that is, those who are suffering for the gospel. So Paul is writing with an intended purpose for Timothy and all who would read this to fight the tendency toward shame, toward being ashamed. Now, I think it's really important that we understand what Paul means here when he says, do not be ashamed. Often in our church definitions of a verse like this that we've heard um, preached on so many times, we've read so many times, we've been to conferences about so many times. Do not be ashamed comes off like this. Don't run away from Jesus to other gods. And I would say that's a fair assessment of this. Don't run off to Jesus for other gods. But most of you, I don't believe, are contemplating Jesus versus Buddha or Jesus versus Allah or Jesus versus some other in the pantheon of gods that are out there. Most of us are pretty firm in our allegiance. If we got to pick a God, we're going to pick the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to pick Jesus. And if we only allow do not be ashamed to mean don't run off to other gods, then we're going to go, I'm good, I got this, I'm glad I'm not weak like Timothy was because I don't need this message. And if you do that, you've missed the point and you've missed an opportunity to be redirected by the Lord. Because do not be ashamed means this. Don't shrink back from your confidence in Jesus when it works out in your day-to-day -day life. Don't shrink back from your eternal confidence in Jesus when it plays itself out 
in your day-to-day life. Do I have any dog owners here? Dog owners? Okay, I'll try to forgive you for that, but thanks for being honest, okay? So when, I, when Paul says, do not be ashamed, I don't think he's, he's contemplating philosophical shifts here. I'm going to shift from this philosophy to this philosophy. I think what he's contemplating is that moment when you walk in and you see that your dog has peed the carpet and the dog realizes that you know it peed the carpet and it's like backing up into the corner and it's tucking its tail between the legs like the tail is not wagging anymore. And it's what? It's, it's filled with shame for what it's done and it's afraid of how you're going to respond, right? You, you know that moment? Maybe if you have children, you've seen that moment. I don't know. But that moment of shame, that's what Paul's addressing here when he says, do not be ashamed. And so the question that I would pose to you today before I even say another word is this. Where are we prone to shrink back from our confidence in Jesus? Where are we prone to shrink back from our confidence in Jesus? Because where we shrink back, that is where shame is winning. So Paul says, do not be ashamed of two things. Of the gospel and of those who are suffering for the gospel. Well, that's clear. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, of the gospel, nor of those who suffer for the gospel. So let's look at those in turn. What does Paul mean by the testimony of our Lord, this gospel that we're not to be ashamed of. Let's look at verse 9. The gospel is this, that God has saved, that God saves sinners. Just kind of follow along with me, verses 9, 10, and 11 here. God saves sinners, and God calls sinners to live for His purposes and His glory. Our salvation is not because of how good we are, how accomplished we are, how moral we are, or anything that we've done for God, but our salvation is rooted in God's purpose and God's grace. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve and what we can never accomplish. And this passage tells us that the saving grace of God comes through Jesus Christ. The saving grace of God comes through Jesus Christ. And what we're told is that God, for all of eternity and for all of eternity, only saves through the blood of His Son. That God's grace for all of eternity and through all of eternity only flows Through his son. But the coming of Jesus, the appearing of Jesus in human form, that which we celebrate at Christmas, that which we're focused upon at Advent, this coming of Jesus is how we know this salvation of God. And Jesus, in his life, in his suffering, in his death, and in his resurrection, abolished death, and brought eternal life to all who believe. So that's the gospel. Mercy of God, the saving mercy of God, comes through Jesus. And because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, sin and the penalty of sin is abolished, and eternal life 
belongs to all who are in Christ. This is the gospel. Now you might say, well, what is there to be ashamed of there? What is there to be ashamed of there? You just told me that God sent His Son to redeem us, to purchase us, and to give us everlasting life. What is there to be ashamed of? Well, our message of salvation is that God saved us because we were unlovable. Our message of salvation is that God saved us because we were His enemies and we deserved His wrath. Our message of salvation is that God's Son came not to be a reigning, celebrated king, but a dying, suffering servant. On human level, on a human evaluation, Jesus looked like a failure. He came and He said, the kingdom of God is here through me. He lived, He walked, He taught, and He got killed for it. On a human level, it looks like he was eradicated and done away with. And on a human level, it looks like his followers were left there to pick up the pieces. This gospel is never intended to be a gospel that would receive human celebration. It was never intended to be a gospel that would receive philosophical glory. It was never intended to be a gospel that would be celebrated by the intelligentsia and by the academy. This is a gospel of a humble, suffering servant who came and lived and died to purchase his people. And those who have been given eyes to see, who have been given eyes of faith, see that the gospel is everything. But those for whom their eyes are blinded, the gospel is silliness. It is simplistic, moralistic comfort for weak people. And I don't believe any of that to be true, but that's how the world views the gospel. And so Paul is crying out to Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Because if we shrink back from the simplicity of the gospel, that is the Son of God who came, who lived a life without sin, who gave that life as a sacrifice for sin, who rose on the third day defeating the power of sin so that all who would believe in Him would be given everlasting life, would be accepted into the presence of God, and would, and would know the joy of Christ forever. That is our gospel. But that gospel cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life, and ultimately it cost him any human praise, any worldly acclaim, and any earthly power in the moment. And so Paul is saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel, because if we shrink back from the gospel, everything else will follow us. Everything else will follow. The only way to not be ashamed of suffering and those who suffer and hardship in this life for Christ is to not be ashamed of the gospel. So remember your Easter story here. Remember Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. Our Savior is a suffering servant who came to endure guilt, who came, excuse me, to endure shame and suffering for his people. Our faith hinges on a suffering, dead, resurrected Messiah. And if we cling to anything else, we have nothing. So out of love, 
out of compassion and out of hope, Paul says, fight to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, do you see this, this outfit that I'm wearing? This is corduroy with the nerd patches, okay? You see it? I'm a geek through and through. I love to think deeply about things through and through. I read theology for fun. I love theology. Now, with that context, let me say this. Is it possible that some of us are always looking for better philosophical answers to the questions of the faith because we're ashamed of the simplicity of the gospel? Is it possible that some of us are looking for deeper truth because the true truth doesn't satisfy our souls? Now guys, if I was preaching this in another church, I would take that a whole different way. But this is our church. And I want us to not be ashamed of the simplicity of the gospel. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I'll give you all the arguments you want, but I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, that Jesus died for me. Let us not be found shrinking back from eternal confidence in the gospel because eternal confidence breeds present confidence. Second point, Paul says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of those who suffer for the cause of Christ. Now, sometimes, you know, when preachers do this alliteration rhyming thing, it's cool, and sometimes it's just a little bit cheesy. You know that, right? So I almost said, don't be ashamed of the suffering servant, and then don't be ashamed of suffering servants, but that's just a little too cheesy. But it's memorable, and it might stick. So what, what I think the reason that Paul goes from the gospel to those who suffer for the gospel is because those who suffer for the gospel are just following in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus said, if you would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And where was he going when he said that? Jerusalem. To die. For them to be left to pick up the pieces for a few days until he rose again. For them to face the music of maybe, was he a lunar? Was he a liar? Was he a lunatic? Was he the Lord? Jesus said, if you would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so what Paul is implying to Timothy is that if you suffer for the cause of Christ, you're in good company. They killed our Savior. What are they going to do to us? And Paul wants to be really clear here. So the main verse begins in verse 11. Paul says, I was appointed by Jesus a preacher, that is to proclaim the gospel, an apostle, that is one sent for the gospel, and a teacher, that is one who teaches God's truths. And this, verse 12, is why I suffer as I do. Do you hear what Paul's saying? I suffer because of the gospel. And Paul is crying out to Timothy saying, don't be ashamed to suffer for Jesus. Don't be ashamed to suffer for Jesus. Paul's writing this as a man who has been arrested, as a man who is facing death because of the gospel, as a man of whom many were ashamed and many turned away. If you look at verse 15, he uses this kind of summary phrase of all who were in Asia turned away from him. I think that's probably a bit hyperbolic, but he's trying to say many have been ashamed of my suffering for Jesus. There were so few who were faithful and supporting of him that he could name them. 
in verses 16, 17, and 18. So Paul is saying, I suffer for Jesus, and many are ashamed of me. But as one who knows the gospel, who believes the gospel, who leans into the gospel, don't pull back from those who are suffering for the gospel. Could it be that we pull back from those who are suffering for the gospel because we believe the world's lies too much. We believe that blessing is success, blessing is ease, and blessing is bliss. And if we believe that blessing is success, blessing is ease, and blessing is bliss, then we would see those who are suffering as under judgment and condemnation. But what the Bible says is those who suffer for Jesus and for his gospel are blessed and are in the path of God's blessing. And until we can make peace with the upside down nature of the message and the ministry of the gospel, that those who are brought low will be lifted up eternally. Those who lose everything in their, this life will be rewarded eternally. And that if God is for us, that is all that matters. Until we change our calculus, we will shrink back. We will. Now, do any of you know anyone who's died because of the faith this week? This week. In Hendersonville. Do you know anybody who has been beaten because of the gospel this week in Hendersonville? Those aren't the only ways that we suffer. Do we know anybody who's been imprisoned this week in Hendersonville because of the gospel? No, but those are not the only ways that people suffer for the cause of Jesus. Where we are faithful and we are judged or arrested or beaten, or punished because of our faithfulness to Jesus. That is the suffering that Paul is talking about. And those who stand with Christ stand with those who are suffering for Christ. So I love Voice of the Martyrs, which is a ministry that is raising up those who are suffering for Jesus all over the world. I love that we as Americans are being challenged to have a global worldview to see that there are brothers and sisters all around the world right now who are suffering for Jesus. And we who stand with Christ are called to stand with those who suffer for Christ. Don't be ashamed of those who suffer for Christ because our shame in those who suffer for Christ is really suffering, is really shame in Christ. Just one step removed. Now, friends, I am not a prophet. I'll never claim to be one. If I do, you should pull me down off the stage, okay? But the acceptance of the surface-level gospel in our country is going away. The acceptance of the church as a place for Christians to express their worship freely, it's going away. A day is coming where you will not get a tax write-off for your gifts to the church. A day is coming where we will pay property taxes on this building and our budget will go up substantially. A day is coming where it might be illegal to stand up and read the Bible and say the things that the Scripture says. Now, we can pray that it doesn't. We can pray earnestly that the Lord would prevent that. I would actually encourage you to do that. But the question for us is, 
If I'm not the first one to suffer, well, I stand with the ones who are. Look, in the whole grand scheme of churchdom, we're pretty small and insignificant. So when the IRS comes after somebody, they're not coming after us. We can name the churches in this town they're coming after, right? I'm not going to, but you can. If our brothers and sisters under the banner of another church are suffering for the cause of Christ, we stand with them because we love Jesus. This isn't a competition. It's about Jesus. And if it's about Jesus, I'll stand with you in your suffering and you'll stand with me in my suffering because we all want to faithfully end this life and receive our eternal reward with Jesus, right? So, so hear this, hear this. Faith in Jesus and shame in Jesus are enemies. Faith in Jesus, that is faith, eternal or saving faith, that Christ is the Lord who has died for me and redeemed me and purchased me and I belong to Him, is inconsistent with being ashamed of Him. So pray for a pure faith that is joyfully stands with Jesus. Second, gospel proclamation and shame are enemies. That is speaking the gospel and shame in Jesus are enemies. If we are ashamed of Jesus, we will never speak the truth of the gospel. So pray for a faith that's so robust we speak of Jesus. Third, gospel companionship. And that's not like some weird church word for like dating. That's not what I'm trying to come up with. Gospel companionship, that's just standing with those who are suffering, being a true friend to those who are suffering for the cause of Christ. Gospel companionship and shame in Christ are enemies. So pray for a true faith that speaks the gospel that will stand with and love and encourage those who are suffering for the cause of Christ. I think that's Paul's message here, which should lead you to one resounding question. How? How? I can't do that. If I'm honest, if you saw my thought life over the last seven days, you would see doubt, you would see fear, you would see unbelief, you would see sin, you would see anger, you would see bitterness, you would see so many things that would shock you to know that a preacher would think those things, but what you would not say if you read through my thoughts, if they just popped up on the screen of your computer, we could see them, would be bold confidence in Jesus. You wouldn't see that. So where does that come from? Where does that come from? The answer this passage gives us is it comes from Jesus. Paul is not telling Timothy to do anything because Timothy is strong. Paul is not telling Timothy to do anything because Timothy is powerful. Paul is not telling Timothy to do anything because Timothy is unique. Paul is telling Timothy to lean into the gospel so that he can lean into suffering. Paul is saying, Timothy, lean into suffering because God is with you. So note this, friends, the God who saves is the God who is with us. And the God who saves is the God who sends us. And the God who saves is the God who is always helping us to accomplish his word. Just look at that in this passage. Let's walk through it together. So the second point, by the way, for note-taking friends, cling to Jesus. That's the answer. How do we do this? We cling to Jesus. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed 
of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. So if you just stop there and don't keep reading, that sounds like, Timothy, lean into it. But lean into it how? By the power of God. The God who saved you, the God who called you, He will enable you to lean into this suffering. By the power of God, lean into suffering and lean into those who suffer for Jesus. Second, Paul says in verse 12, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed. Paul is saying, because I know Christ and Christ knows me, I'm not ashamed. He's not saying he has strong mental faculty. He's not saying he has a special gift of faith. He's saying he knows Jesus. And if he knows Jesus, he does not have to be ashamed. Lean into Christ who knows us and loves us. Verse 12, again. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul says he doesn't have to be ashamed because Christ protects and blesses his servants. He says he doesn't have to be ashamed and shrink back from the gospel because Christ protects and blesses his servants. So the ESV reads, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So, so this reads that God guards and protects the gospel and the gospel ministry that he's entrusted to Paul. If you have an NIV, it's going to say that God protects what Paul has entrusted to God. The Greek doesn't make it clear, but either way, what it's saying is God protects and blesses His children. And if Christ protects and blesses me, I do not have to shrink back in fear or shame. There is nothing that the world can take from me that Jesus cannot restore and make new. Fourth. Paul tells Timothy to to guard the gospel by the Spirit. This is verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So guard the good deposit, that means protect the gospel. That means stand with the gospel. That means don't be ashamed of the gospel. That means defend the gospel. How do I do that? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit helps us. So we cling to Jesus. We lean in to the Gospel. We lean in to suffering for the Gospel. We lean into those who are suffering for the Gospel because we know the power of Jesus. This is what the Scripture says. I was dead in my sin, but Jesus made me alive. This is what the Scripture says. I was separated from God, but Jesus brought me near. This is what the Scripture says. God's wrath was upon me, but Jesus forgave me. The Scripture says God had nothing for me, but Jesus brought me into His family. 
That's what the scripture says. And if that is true, then I lean into Jesus. I lean into the gospel and the power of God at work through the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit will enable me to not shrink back. Not shrink back. How many of you were here last week? How many were here last week? Some of you. Okay. So go back to chapter 1, verse 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We said last week that the power and the love and the self-control are gifts of the spirit for those who are carrying the gospel forward. And fear and shame are two sides of a coin that cause us to shrink back, to drop our weapons, and to run away. And so it's as if Paul is saying this, if you want to know the power of God, lean into the gospel, where the power of God is made evident in you. If you want to know the power of God, lean in to the ministry of proclaiming the gospel, of speaking the gospel, of spreading the gospel, where the power of Christ will be with you no matter what you endure. If you want to know the power of God, don't shrink back from those who are suffering for Christ. Friends, I believe that if we want to know more of Christ, more of His Word, more of His Spirit, more of His joy, more of His peace, more of His kingdom, more of His blessing, more of His power, more of people repenting and believing, more of people coming to know His saving grace. If we want to know that, we will lean into Him and not shrink back. And I believe that's what Paul knows, and that's why he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord, nor of His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Father, we're praying that you would raise up a people who lean into the gospel even when it comes with hardship and suffering. We're praying that you would help us guide us and teach us. Pray this in Jesus' name. This time, we take uh, what we call the Lord's Supper. This is a meal that Jesus gave to us. A piece of bread which represents His body broken for us. A cup filled with juice which represents His blood spilled for us. We take this each week as a way to say, I need Jesus. I stand with Christ because Christ stands with me. We take this as a way to say that my only hope is in Jesus. So here at Redeemer, we would invite anyone who has professed faith in Christ and made that faith public. We would invite you to take this bread and take this cup with us. If you're here today, you're kind of checking out Christianity, exploring the faith, we'd ask that you uh, let the bread and the cup pass by. Um, as this is a, a testimony of our trust in Christ. But we'd also say, today, would you consider Jesus? 
Would you consider the salvation that comes in His name? Would you consider the salvation that He brings? And would you consider how you respond to Him? We would love to help you respond to Jesus with faith. I'd love to talk to you about that. As the bread and the cup is being passed, as we sing, I would encourage you to think about Christ and think about um, where you are prone to shrink back from Him.